is having family back. And um, as soon as I saw James, it, it just, it's just wonderful, sweet feeling of this privilege of having family again. And um, it, it's, you know, although we don't get to see each other, it's like you never left, and it's wonderful, and I have such respect for James. We, it's almost three years now, right? Is it coming this fall or something, uh, three years ago? Actually, yeah, we were just getting on three years when we started talking about it. Unbelievable. So they left like two years ago, right? Right. And then it's coming up on three years when they started looking at planting a church in Asheville. I'm sure he's going to at least tell us a teeny bit about that. How's it going? Just a teeniest bit? Just a teeniest bit? Okay. And then um, what a privilege it is that although we have lost in one sense, they're not lost. They're still brothers and sisters. And that they get to proclaim the gospel in Asheville and inspire other people to love Jesus more. And I love James. And I can say it wholeheartedly, I love James. Because he is passionate for Jesus. He is passionate about the good news of the gospel. He loves his wife and his children. He's a great example. He's a great father. But he's also a humble man. And he's hungry like we are. And he receives from God. So I'm looking forward to you sharing what you've received from God so we can eat too. So let's pray for James for a second if that's okay. Father, thank you for the gift that our brother is. Lord, thank you that we get to call him brother. Father, thank you for the gift that he is, and I pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit now. Would you empower him? Would you give him your words to speak? Would you give him your grace and your comfort, your confidence, your peace, Lord, and would we all receive from you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The song, you guys good? Well, good morning. All right, we're not awake yet. Good morning. All right, I come from a church now where we want to hear amens. I know we want to hear them down here, amen. but I want to hear amen. Uh, if you don't say amen, I'll say, that's where you say amen, okay? Amen. So amen makes me at least know you're awake. And uh, I tell you what, it's good to be back. This, you guys really are our family. This is where God has trained us, and uh, we've raised our children in this church, and um you know, when I, we've come back here, it's interesting. It's kind of sad to see how the children that were, were this big are like this now, right? And um, what it reminds me of is that we are a mist, aren't we? Our lives are a mist. And we're here for a moment, and we're gone. But God stays the same, you know? God never changes. It's going to be good, y'all. <laughs> but uh, October is going to be our second year as a church, public launch. And it's funny because you go from being, let's plant a church to man, you look around and we really are a church. And there's one thing I've seen that's common uh, in the church is that there's sin and that we need the gospel. There are some wicked people in Asheville. And once I get outside of my own family... There are some wicked people out there, too. We all need the gospel. It doesn't matter who we are. And so it's been a really great joy to come back to what I would say the church that helped me and my wife and my family understand the power of the gospel, that it's more than just getting you saved, right? It's the center of everything that we do. And it's been a joy to be able to go to a, a, a place in Asheville that doesn't really 
know that and to be able to speak things and, and to be able to share things that I was taught by Matt and all you guys and ladies here in this church. So it's been a great, it's a great joy to be back here with you. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 17 this morning. Matt said he preached on Psalm 17 and we're going to continue on. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do real quick, just uh, real simple. We're going to read the passage. I'm going to give a overview of it for a couple minutes, give you about three points or observations that I see in the passage, and then we're going to go eat lunch, all right? So uh, we're going to start with Psalm 17, the, the title of my message, let's do that again, and then we're going to eat lunch, right? The title of my message is, We Dogged Y'all. Amen? I'm back. Uh, the big idea is that God is faithful to, to deliver all who seek to take refuge in him. So let's look at Psalm 17. A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your path. My feet have not slipped. Verse 6. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord. Confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You, will, you fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their enemies. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your life. Let's pray. Lord, in the next few moments, I sense again my need for you to take words that, that have been prepared and to breathe life and truth and to overcome distractions in our hearts and our minds. Lord, I ask that your word 
by your Holy Spirit, you would bring it to life in us. And what only you can do through your word in us. Lord, I ask you to help us to be receptive. Lord, show us our weakness that we might find our refuge in you. That we might put our our hope and trust fully in you and not in ourselves. That you might be glorified in all things. Pray this in Jesus' name. Well, as I'm beginning, I want to begin by asking you a question. Have you ever been wrongly wronged? I want you to think about that. Have you ever been wrongly wronged? What do you mean by that, James? Well, there are times when you intentionally or unintentionally wrong someone and they retaliate back and wrong you. Like maybe you're driving your car and you unintentionally cut somebody off. You ever done that? And for the next 15 miles, they're right on your bumper. I did that uh, several years ago. Accidentally was going to Raleigh from South Carolina, cut in front of a, a, a truck, and I didn't see them, and they're like, ha, ha. Well, I was like, okay, whew, all right, let's keep going. I had forgotten, though, that we had Monkey D's on the back with my phone number on it. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, my phone rings, and, the, and I'm like, uh-oh. So I said, hello? Hey, are you driving that van with monkeys? Uh-huh, no, not. And I acted like I, had, I was from another country. And he's like, <laughs> and so uh, I was, I am. Parents, not, that's not really a good lesson to teach your kids. But uh, it might also be that you intentionally do some harm by, like, toilet papering your friend's house. Have you ever done that? If you've ever done that, raise your hand. All right, we're going to have a, a... Matt, you look back here. And then they retaliate by rolling your yard. That's being rightly wronged. Okay? I'm asking, have you ever been wrongly wronged when you didn't do anything wrong and someone is coming against you? Well, Psalm 17 is a psalm that addresses someone who is being wrongly wronged. He didn't cut anyone off in his chariot, and he didn't roll King Saul's throne, and yet he has been surrounded by enemies. And, and in this passage, we find that David is pleading with the Lord to rescue him from his enemies. This is not a request from David to God for him to just to, to show some kind of unjust favoritism to himself. David's not asking for that. He's saying, Lord, I want you to do what is right. David is arguing from a position, from a position of innocence. He says, Lord, you need to hear me. I need you to look at my situation because these enemies that are coming after me right now, Lord, it is not because I have provoked them. Lord, you know that I am innocent. Now, David is not saying that he is free from sin. He's saying, but he is saying that in, in regards to his relationship with the enemies, he hasn't done anything to provoke them. But he's not just relying on his own testimony. In verse 3, if you look at verse 3, he says, You have tried my heart, speaking to the Lord, you have tried my heart, 
you have visited, visited me or examined me by night. You have tested me. Three words there. Tried, visited, and tested. It's the imagery of, of a metal worker who is heating up precious metals like gold or silver and then examining it to see if there's any imperfection or any impurities in it. David said, that's what you've done to me. And you have found, you found nothing. I'm innocent. So he's appealing to God on the basis of his innocence here. And then he continues in verse 5 to basically say, Lord, it's my desire. It's been my desire to follow you. I want to follow you, Lord. I've made it my goal. And in doing so, I've guarded my mouth. I've upheld your word. And I've kept my feet on your path. And I've, I've stayed away from the pathway of the wicked. And now I'm being wrongly wronged. Basically, David is saying, you've got to hear me, God. I'm innocent in this. So he's coming to him on the basis of his innocence. But then in verse 6 through 9, he kind of turns the corner and goes from being looking at his innocence to God's love. Now, if this passage was a watermelon, what's he going to say next? How many of you guys like watermelon? That is, I love watermelon. But if this passage was a watermelon, I believe that, in my opinion, verses 6 through 9 would be the heart, the juicy, succulent part of this passage. Let's, let's look at verses 6 through 9. He says in verse 6, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Now notice the, this is what I love about this part of the passage. Notice the confidence in David. He says, I call upon you for you will answer me. He doesn't say, man, I hope you're going to answer me, God. He doesn't say, you might answer me. David, knows that his God is going answer him. In verse 7 he says wondrously show your steadfast love O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversary at your right hand. David knows God's word which is important if we are going to take refuge in him and David knows what God has done for his people. He is no doubt recounting what God has done to Israel by showing steadfast love by delivering them from bondage in Egypt. When he talks about the wondrous, wondrously, that, that word is miraculously too. He's remembering what God has done for the people of Israel and the covenant that God made with his people. And he knows that God has been faithful. And he's basically saying, I have confidence God, that you will do the same with me. And it's clear that, that David knows God, and therefore he confidently leads to him in his time of need. In verse 8, he says, keep me as the apple 
of your eye, as the pupil. David's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm like your pupil, very vulnerable, but I'm so valuable to you, God. By grace, I'm valuable to you. Guard me like you would the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. I don't think David is thinking of Tweety Bird here. Do you? He's thinking of an eagle. He's actually making reference to Deuteronomy 32, 10, and 11, where Moses has proclaimed after they had come out of the Exodus, and he's praising God. Moses talks about keeping them as the apple of his eye and, and, the, and, and protecting them as a great eagle. Again, David knows God's word, and he knows God's love and how God has been faithful through the generations. He is remembering who God is and what he has done, and he is saying, I know you love our people, and I know you love me. Therefore, I know I can come to you, and you will answer me. He's so confident in his God. And in verse 10 through 14, David basically describes his enemies as heartless, arrogant, lurking, worldly lions who are seeking to devour him. And then in verse 15, David says, you know, we've got, I've got these great enemies. But you know what? It's all good. It's all good. My enemies have put their hope and their trust in temporal things. But as for me, just like in, in Psalm 16, verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He says, as for me, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. He says, because of that, when I awake, I shall be satisfied. Not might be, I shall be. He's walking by faith in his God. I will be satisfied with your likeness. He knows that God is faithful to deliver all who seek to take refuge in him. So the question that we need to ask from Psalm 17 is this. How does this psalm pertain to us today? How does knowing that God was faithful to David, and we know that he was, how should that encourage us today in the year 2018? Well, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, I have three gospel observations from this text that I would like to share, and I hope that they will encourage us this morning. And there's a, I've got a heading over the three that says, we can take refuge in God knowing, and then I've got three observations that I want to share. So the first one is that enemies are our friends. We can take refuge in God knowing that enemies are our friends. Now initially this may not make sense. For the most part enemies are mutually exclusive, right? You cannot flip a coin and it be heads and tails, right? You cannot turn left and right at the same time, can you? shouldn't have done that. that that was you cannot turn left and right you cannot have good NBA understanding and say that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan Amen. they just don't mix okay how many Jordans have we got in this room come on there we go all right I'm not going to ask the other one that's right and when it comes there's, there's always tears amongst us brother 
and when, you know, and when we talk about friends, friends are those who are for you, aren't they? They're looking out for your welfare and your well-being. And an enemy is someone that's out to destroy you. So how can a enemy be a friend? Well, I've noticed in this passage, and I've noticed in the lives, man, spending so many years in this church, I've noticed in, in our lives, and I've noticed in my own life, that in God's economy, I've seen that over and over, time and time again, I've seen that as we follow the Lord, as we seek to follow the Lord, he often allows enemies to enter into our lives. Have you ever noticed that? That God allows en enemies to enter into our lives in order to accomplish a work that cannot be accomplished otherwise. Let me say that again. As we seek to follow the Lord, he often allows enemies to enter into our lives in order to accomplish a work that cannot be accomplished otherwise. Sometimes they come in the form of a person like, or persons like in this passage, and other times they, they arrive at our doorstep packaged as hardships and trials and, and unwanted circumstances. But I think that we need to be reminded this morning as disciples of Jesus that Jesus said, if, if you come to me, you need to understand it's going to cost you something. I don't sometimes like to be reminded of that. I just want to sit down on the couch and it be done. But Jesus said, it's not going to be easy, and it's going to cost you something. It is going to cost you your life. And sometimes when we, when we come to Jesus, sometimes our relationships get hairy. Family relationships can get uncomfortable. We can lose, lose friendships. You might miss a job promotion because you're following Jesus. Your popularity could drop off. And you know, I think one of the, and this is one thing I'm learning now, is that one of the most difficult costs of following Jesus is when you are misunderstood because you're following Jesus and there's nothing you can do to convince anyone otherwise. Because if you did, you would not be following Jesus. You have to be quiet let people think what they're going to think. So just out of curiosity, before I move further, how many of you would say that right now in your life, you can think of an enemy in your life right now that, that is in your life? If you didn't raise your hand, don't feel bad. You will. I guarantee you, God is faithful. And, and we need to understand that like David, if we are truly going to seek to follow Jesus, we will from time to time be surrounded by enemies. And in 1 Peter 4, I'm going to give you kind of like a loose, not King James translation, but James Nysong translation. He basically, basically says in, in 1 Peter 4, don't freak out when enemy, you're surrounded by enemies. He calls them fiery trials. He says, don't freak out. Understand that they are tests from the Lord. Rejoice that they are there. 
James chapter 1. Consider it pure, what? Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you, and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your, see, I don't, I don't have to teach you this. I'm just reminding you. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. These enemies are in our lives as friends under the hand of God. Because they accomplish something in our lives that could not otherwise be accomplished. But there's another reason that they're there. It's because they reveal a reality about ourselves that we otherwise cannot see. They reveal to us that we are weak. We are, I didn't get any amens on that one. We are weak. But our pride doesn't like it. God's kindness, he often allows these perceived enemies to come in and show us that we do not have the strength within ourselves to stand against that which is coming against us. And for the believer, for God to be that kind and to reveal a weakness, that's where the enemy can come in, our friends, to show us that we need a Savior. And when I was 11 years old, I remember going to Sunday school, Sunday school. And one morning I went in and sat down, and there were two boys from the neighborhood in the bus ministry that had come in there. And I was, as class progressed, they started uh, making fun of my ethnicity. Um, not that I was white, because I'm half white. They were making fun of my Asian side. Now, today it's cool to be Asian. Did you know that? <laughs> but back then it wasn't, right? And I didn't like it that, that he, they were making fun of me. I hadn't provoked them. But they were making fun of me. And I remember them going, what are you going to do about it? And there was nothing I could do. I just sat there and just waited for the class to get over. I got up. I thought, okay, this is all over. And I made my way back to the car, and in the middle of the parking lot, they came up from behind and attacked me and basically just beat me up for no reason. And I can remember how traumatic that experience was. If you've ever, if you've ever had anything, anything like that happen to you, you understand what it feels like to be violated, what it means to be hurt, humiliated, and shamed, and all the, the feelings that come with that, and, and fear and vulnerability. And, and you know what? For the first time in my life, I was afraid to go to church. I was afraid to go back to church because I knew that the next week they were going to be back in that class waiting for me. But here's what happened in that. It made me realize something, that I'm weak. My weakness had been revealed, which leads me to our second observation. Enemies are our friends because they reveal weakness, and weakness leads to strength. Weakness leads to strength. In verse 10, I want to look at verse 10. Speaking of our enemies, it says, They close their hearts to pity with their mouth. 
They speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Now David knows that he he has been surrounded by an enemy more powerful than himself. And he is aware of his weakness. And this is a good thing. We've already established that. Because it, seek, it, it teaches him to seek refuge in something, right? But I want to notice, I want you to notice two things, two, two things that he does not seek to find his refuge in. And the first one is this. He does not seek to find refuge in others. He does not seek to find refuge in others. Now, I want to be clear about something. God has given us one another. God has given us one another. That's where you say amen. He has. I know you all know this. How many times we've been able to go to each other, right? God has given, I, I can look around the room and there's so many uh, counsels that we had in, time, in our times of need that we went to each other. God uses one another to speak truth, but we've got to be careful that we're always pointing people to God, that we're not the end of our search, right? That, you're, that Aaron's not the end of my search. And if he is, it's his fault in some ways because he should be pointing me, which he does. Do you still do that? <laughs> this message is for all of us, right? Points us point us to God. And we got to be careful too that there's a temptation in us too that it feels good, doesn't it? To help people, doesn't it? And if we're not careful, we could let it stop here. One of the uh, greatest lessons that I was taught was 12 years ago, we were looking to move to South Carolina. And I met with a, a, a guy named Jim Britt. I don't know if y'all know who Jim Britt is. We all know Jim Britt, right? And I, was, I had this little uh, Bible study in my house up in Asheville. I had, I had actually thought about planting a church 12 years ago. And God showed me that you don't have anybody <clears throat> that can hold you accountable, so you better not do that. So I moved to South Carolina. But before I moved, I told Jim, I said, I don't know if I can do this because, you know, all these people up in Asheville, they need me. And Jim looked at me and said, you know what? You're not the Messiah. God can take care of that. And that was when I began to realize that I had, without knowing it, made myself the Messiah, thinking that God needed me. Now, God loves to, to let me serve with him, but he doesn't need me, does he? And we've got to be careful. David is not looking to people for his refuge. Number two, David doesn't seek refuge in himself. Now, we are living in a culture that is consumed with self. It encourages us to trust in yourself. Be self-independent. It encourages individualism and self-centeredness. And just last week, I was encouraging our congregation that we've got to be careful. Because it's so easy to drift 
from a God-centered view. It's so easy to drift to a man-centered gospel. It's a subtle shift. It doesn't usually happen overnight. But it takes the truth of the gospel that Jesus died to save sinners. It takes that wonderful gospel. And instead of centering on Jesus died, that is the center of the gospel. That is, that, is, that is the heart of the gospel. But Jesus died, we take it and make it onto sinners. God loves me. Look what I can do through him who strengthens me. And Anne was not, this morning, was not using it that way. But we can make it about, we can put ourselves in the center of it. And we've got to be careful that we don't do that. And, and parents, listen, as we are raising our children, who are we teaching our children to trust in? Are we teaching them to trust in God or are we teaching them to trust in themselves? I, I saw a video that, that went viral a couple of years ago where a, a man took his beautiful daughter and, and he puts her on the uh, countertop. I think it's in a bathroom. And they're looking in the mirror. And he says, I want you to repeat after me. I am smart. And she repeats. Everything I'm going to say, she repeats. I am smart. I work hard. I am beautiful. I am respectful. I am not better than anyone. Nobody's better than me. I am amazing. I am great. And then he ends with this. Thank you, God, for making me the greatest. Now, you might be saying, well, James, what's wrong with encouraging your children? And there's nothing wrong with encouraging your children. We need to do that. We need to encourage our children. But we need to ask ourselves, how are we encouraging them? Are we current, like I said, are we encouraging them to trust in God or in themselves? I am smart. What happens when you have a head injury and you no longer can remember things? I am beautiful. Well, what happens when you're in a car accident and the doctors cannot repair your skin with plastic surgery? I am strong. What happens when you sever your spinal cord and you can no longer feed yourself. Instead, we should be teaching ourselves and our children, God, you are wise. God, you are beautiful. God, you are mighty. God, there is none like you. God, you are awesome. You see the difference? God, you know, one of the things that I'm, I've realized it's like the older I get, one thing I realize, and I was telling Matt this before the, the service, I was like, one thing I'm realizing more and more is that there's only one thing that doesn't change in my life, and that is God. He stays the same. And David knew that. And he sees his enemies, and he realizes that they are stronger than him. And so he seeks refuge, not in himself. Not in others, but in God. And so we can take refuge in God, number one, knowing that our enemies are our friends, that weakness leads to strength, 
Number three, that humility reveals glory. Let's look at verse six one more time. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Notice what David is doing. He's walking in humility. David is humbling himself. David is not saying, yo, I got this. Watch me whip. Watch me nay-nay. He's not doing that. He's not even saying, yo, we got this, God. He's not even, he's not even um, looking at himself. David sees his enemies who reveal in him his weakness, which leads him to humble himself before the Lord. He humbles himself by saying, I can't do it. I need help. I need a Savior. And that's exactly what God wants us to see. That we need a Savior. And I love what David says in verse 13. He looks at his enemies. But God, in his heart and his mind, arise, O Lord, Confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your, by your sword. He's not saying anything about himself. It's all about God doing it. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. My enemies have put their trust in themselves and in this life, but my trust is in you to deliver. And I'm not telling you how to do it. Okay, that's another thing we gotta be careful when we come to God for deliverance. We don't need to tell him how. Moses had no idea that the sea was gonna part, right? Moses probably would have just wanted to mow down the Egyptians as they were coming, but God had a greater deliverance. So he doesn't tell him how to do it. He doesn't tell him when to do it. He just knows that God will do it. David realized he needed a Savior. And at age 11, I realized that I needed a Savior. I knew that if I went back to that Sunday school class without a Savior, I would not be 12 years old the next year. So I went to my dad. All right, before I finish this story, I want to let you know that this is a parable, okay? It really happened, but it's a parable, okay? And there's some things in this story that's like, hmm, I don't know if that's gospel, but it's okay. It's a parable, okay? Keep that in mind, because I know who I'm preaching to right now. <laughs> I just know. Was that in the text? I know. I get that. Now, where was I? So I went. To my dad, I said, I told him what had happened, and he said, well, if that happens again this week, go get your big brother, Robert. Okay, I, I get it, okay, but this is a parable. Go get your big brother. Something in me was like, hmm, yeah, I'll go get my big brother. This is back in the 70s, by the way, so a lot of things have changed since then. So I went to class, and sure enough, the 
two guys were there. And I can remember right here. I mean, right here. Yeah, we're going to let you worship Daddy. Okay? I kept thinking about my big brother. And as soon as class ended, I made a beeline to my brother. And sure enough, these two guys followed me. I remember them coming up. And my brother stopped them in front of me and said, you leave James alone. Said, Daddy, what you going to do about it? Now, I'm standing behind my brother, right? <laughs> you know, like, oh, my goodness, like an Annie. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And I'm not going to go into detail of what happened. But let's just say that my brother saved me from my enemies that day with his right hand. <laughs> Gospel truth. And as those guys ran away, I ran after them. I wasn't afraid, and I yelled at them, we dogged y'all! Woo! <clears throat> now, true story. I hope you get the point, okay? Parents, bad parenting. That, that's bad parenting. So I'm going to click. Don't, you don't have to come up to me afterwards. Um, but notice that I had an enemy. It revealed my weakness. And instead of looking to myself, it caused me to humble myself and find refuge in my big brother. And I did nothing but go behind him. And when he won the victory, he got the glory, but I rejoiced as if it was mine. <laughs> Y'all making the connection? Because it was my victory. And those guys never came back. Which, that's, again, that's not good. It was church. They should have come back. So, gosh. All right. Don't use that example. But you know, I, I, I think bottom line with this passage, what God has shown me in this passage, is that we need to learn to praise God when we see enemies. I'm having to learn to praise him right now. When he allows situations to come in your life that you had no idea, Lord, no, this cannot be happening right now. Things were going so good, right? I need my health right now. Lord, I cannot go down right now. Lord, my children cannot be doing this right now. Lord, I need finances right now if I'm going to make my payments. And we need to, to, to look at our, our enemies and realize that in Christ, they are going to be your friends. You are not going to go down if you find your refuge in God. Because those enemies are meant to direct us to God, to find our strength in God. It doesn't mean that we just lay around and don't do anything. But we walk behind God. And you may say, well, you know, James, that sounds all good and everything, but right now I'm in the midst of, of war with the enemies, and I don't know what to do. And I'm going to tell you what, that's actually a great place to be when you don't know what to do. 
just like King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 when an enemy came up against them and, and they weren't doing anything and an enemy came up against Israel. And what did they do? They said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you and we know you're going to deliver us. And, they, and God did deliver them. And Israel walked behind and they took up the spoils by grace. And you know, David looked back and was encouraged by what God had done in Egypt and in the desert for, for Israel. But we look back at a greater reality. We look back at the cross of Jesus Christ. David knew God's steadfast love in a different way than we do. We know it through the love of his son. And if Jesus, and he is, is willing to die and pay for our sins and forgive us of all our transgressions, and if he rose from the dead, and he did, to prove that there's no enemy greater than him, he conquered death. If he's willing to forgive and he's mighty to save, then why would we not go to him as our refuge in our time of need? Because when we go to him, when our enemies drive us to him, and he rescues us, God alone is glorified. God is glorified, and that's what, what it's all about, is God's glory. And his people rejoice when God is glorified. Because that is the cry of our heart. Not to us, but to your name, O God. Be all the glory forever and ever. We have a forgiving Savior. And so this morning, if you raised your hand that you've got an enemy, and even if you didn't, let me ask you this. Who are you going to or what are you going to to find refuge or encouragement? Are you going to yourself, trying to figure it out? Are you going to others instead of God? Are you going to things, numbing yourself with the things of the world? Or are you going to God? If you're not Going to God, I want to encourage you this morning to repent. To repent. Confess to God, Lord, I've made something an idol. And you have, have done so much to prove that you can save me and that you alone can save me. And so I'm repenting and I'm coming to you. David proclaimed, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. And by his grace, may we do the same. Amen? Amen.